It's your old pal, the Crypt Keeper. Tonight's tale of terror comes from the Trick or Treaters podcast. Join them as they journey into the horrifying unknown. <laughs> you are listening to the Trick or Treaters podcast, part of the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Movie reviews, horror news, and all the gory details. Listen if you dare. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 34 of the Trick or Treaters podcast. I am your host, Kyle. And as always, I am joined by my wonderful co host, JR. Uh, JR, besides being absolutely as excited as, uh, probably more excited than I am about the Halloween Kills trailer. How do you up to tonight? Well, as you know, Kyle, we are recording a little bit later than normal. Unfortunately, on Tuesday, we had some technical difficulties. But as we say, when life gives you lemon, you make lemonade. And I think it all worked out the best because today, um, as we had mentioned in the past, movies are opening, coming back up. Today was the release of Fast 9, and with the release of Fast 9, we also got the trailer for Halloween Kills that's coming up in October 15th. And as I talk about this, Kyle, literally, I have, like, goosebumps. The hair on my, the hair on my arms, the hair on my head is, like, just standing up, like, like electricity is flowing through my body. I was so excited to see this trailer, and one of the quotes I saw that was thrown out there was, because of the pandemic and it essentially killed all of the marketing for Halloween kills that they, that the um, Blumhouse really felt this importance of throwing out a preview. That was such a banger to get everybody to talk about Halloween kills and get everybody excited. And boy, did they, because that trailer, I mean, from start to finish, got you so amped up about the next chapter in this essentially the 2018 trilogy that Blumhouse put together uh bringing back Jamie Lee Curtis with Halloween 2018 Halloween Kills and then eventually spoiler alert there will be a third one Halloween ends coming out next year in 2022 yeah I'm super excited about this like I remember I was sitting on Twitter while I was at work and I saw someone one uh, this Halloween Twitter page uh, posted that the, the trailer is going to drop in 30 minutes. And I was like, wait, 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 what? And so I like, I texted you and I posted it in our, in our discord uh, to all, all for all our friends. And we were like, whoa, whoa, what? And then right on the dot, 30 minutes, it, it goes live. Me and uh, me, CC from Scream Queens, uh, Isaiah from Crystal Lake Soldiers, and uh, our friend Kat jumped in Discord on a video chat and watched it live together. And it was just, oh, we were beside ourselves. Yeah, because um, you had texted me and and I saw what you had retweeted. It said it was going to be dropping at approximately, I think it was 8.30 Central Time. And the tweet was about 40 minutes old. 
And when I saw it and you and I were texting back and forth, they said, Kyle, I think it's actually dropping right now. And I go straight to YouTube and I type in Halloween kills and go to recently uploaded. And the first thing was Blumhouse, one minute old. What and it just went to the Halloween trailer. I mean, and we might as well just might as well get into it. I mean, it starts off yeah. with well, literally well, the end of Halloween 2018. Before we get into it, uh, just in case there's people who haven't seen it or don't want to see it, uh, spoilers. Uh, just skip through this part because we're definitely going to be talking about this. The spoiler is that Michael Myers alive is killing people. There is, I mean, I don't. It was crazy. That people were freaking out about spoilers. I mean, that's what Michael Myers does. He he stays alive and he kills people. So I don't know what what people were freaking out by spoilers. But I mean, we saw what happened because even in the teaser trailer that was released last year, was the house is on fire. Um, Lori Strode, her daughter and her granddaughter got away, and then you hear fire trucks coming towards the house um, where Michael was trapped in that he was burning at the end of Halloween 2018 and you hear Lori and her daughter and granddaughter screaming let him die let him die well and the fire crew gets in there and we see that one of the fire crew falls through the floor and one of his counterparts tries to reach out and help him out and you see a hand grab his hand. And, you know, basically you're led to believe it was Michael Myers. Michael Myers comes out of the house and he's standing on the porch facing the firefighters um, that hadn't come into the, the burning house. And he has, I believe it's, some, it's like a type of tool that's used as a pry bar that's used to pry open doors. Fire, I've seen it oftentimes in any TV or movies that, uh, that, contains uh, firefighters and he just goes to town and he's just shredding and tearing apart all these firefighters i mean it's actually to my knowledge i i feel like this is one of the first times i've ever seen firefighters killed in a horror film i don't think i've ever seen that before uh, at least i mean i'm not as uh, i gotta lean to you as my guru to know if you've ever seen that that was yeah, very uh, unique to man, me that this 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 whole opening had me they could have just only had this opening and then just drop the title and i would have been even more excited but i, I love the whole trailer but the, the, the opening though like because like you know we're used to michael who likes to who likes to kind of like you know show up at unexpected sneak around and, and you know get catch people off guard no in this one, he straight up fucking walks out onto the burning porch in front of everybody. Is holding that like uh, is holding that pickaxe like looking thing, and is like basically looking at the firefighters and basically being like, "Look, I'm about to fuck you all up, and there's nothing you can do about it." <laughs> I mean, one firefighter goes after him with uh, with, with with like this uh, this uh, with a saw. And Michael just—it doesn't even affect him. He just—he fucks him up. <laughs> um, and then I mean, we, the next thing we get from there is going into a scene in the hospital where Lori is there with her daughter Karen and her granddaughter Allison, and the police chief from the first—excuse me—from the first one, uh, Halloween twenty eighteen, 
breaks the news that Michael's alive and you just see just everybody panicking. Lori, you know, she's in the bed and there's this, well, she tries to inject herself, which I don't know what she injects herself with. It could be adrenaline or something like that. But she's like, this has to, and she tells her daughter, Karen, um, this has to end. You guys shouldn't be, you know, writing for the rest of your life. And even her granddaughter, Allison, is prepared to um, go after Michael Myers. And then we start seeing essentially a town, a mob going after them, led by, in real life, Anthony Michael Hall, who is one of my most favorite, favorite human beings ever. Um, because of his roles in The Breakfast Club and the other John Hughes movies of 16 Candles and Weird Science, he is playing the grown-up version of Tommy Doyle as a flashback to the original Halloween from 1978. And there's other people. I even I, I know that Lindsay Wallace is going to be in here because I've seen it. Lindsay Wallace is... Uh, played by the yeah. same Lindsay Wallace from the original. Um, her real name is Kylie Richards. Uh, Kylie Richards had went on to become essentially a um, reality show star uh, with Be the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, which is, I think, kind of funny. Um, that ended up working out in that way. But So I didn't see her, but I know she's going to be in here. But I did see uh, Nancy Stevens, who portrayed in Halloween, Halloween 2, and Halloween H2O. Um, we do, as some people remember, Halloween 2 and Halloween H2O are not a part of this Halloween 2018 timeline. They go straight from Halloween 78 to Halloween 2018. Now Halloween kills. But Nancy Stevenson plays Marion Chambers, who was the nursing assistant to Dr. Sam Loomis. So... Um, it's a very, like I said, it is, in my opinion, one of the best tra I, I mean, it's hard to say because like it's just a trailer, but man, it is a trailer that, I mean, when you think of like Avengers and you think of Star Wars, it it is getting you so amped up and chomping at the bit to see this movie. And when you had told me about it earlier, that it was leaked during the fast nine i legitimately was about ready to get in my car and buy a movie ticket to go see fast nine tonight yeah. just to see this trailer <laughs> which is kind of the i mean that was very, very reminiscent i don't know if people remember this and just kind of a bit of um a little bit of like movie trivia but there was a movie that came out in 1998 called meet joe black and it starred um, Anthony Hopkins, Brad Pitt, as and um, I'm gonna mess up her name. I want to say it's Claire Forlani, I believe it is. But the reason I bring this up was Mijo Black in 1998 sold a lot of tickets, and the reason they sold a lot of tickets in the opening night is because this movie was gonna be the first, um, the first time that people would be able to see it because this is obviously over 20 years ago there was no youtube and stuff like that it was gonna be the first time people were able to see the trailer for star wars episode one the phantom menace and so tons of star wars fans which have bought tickets to go see me joe black only to see the trailer and they left and i had like that i mean i would stay and see fast nine but that had with that same mentality i was like i'm gonna go to buy a ticket 
right this minute to go see the trailer for Halloween Kills if this thing doesn't drop in the next 30 minutes. And it did, and it was worth it. Was worth it. Um, like I said, if you hadn't seen it, um, I there's nothing I can tell you that that's going to do it justice. But it literally sent chills and goosebumps but, up and down my spine. Yeah. Uh, Jerry, you're skipping over the best part of the trailer, though. The fact that they pay homage to your favorite sequel in the Halloween franchise. Yes, for those listeners who don't understand the reference, so as you know, Jr. absolutely hates uh, Halloween Three: Season of the Witch. Well, the three masks, uh, uh, the pumpkin mask, the 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 the, the skull mask, and the, the witch mask. The, so from this, this was the silver shamrock uh, are uh, are in the are in the movie. Like there's there's a show in the trailer. It shows. Uh, the three people that Michael has killed, and they're wearing those masks. Yeah. The other thing, too, I would say uh, with that specific thing that you had mentioned was it also picks up a lot of what you see at in Halloween 2018, and it looks like there was a lot more carnage either during Halloween 2018 or continuing from Halloween 2018, the beginning of Halloween Kills, because th- those were essentially more bodies that we didn't see that Michael Myers had went through. And so, because there was flashbacks to one of the friends of Allison, I can't remember his name, um, but he tried to hit on Allison, and he and Michael ends up killing him in the backyard of some random house. And so, like, we saw that, like, kind of, like, in this montage in the beginning of the trailer, uh, we saw his body. So, I don't know if those, and I do remember in Halloween 2018, when Michael starts going through the neighborhood, you see three kids with those masks on. So, um, obviously, I don't think he killed three little kids, but I don't know if he ended up taking those masks or if... um, like I said, if this was a these are new kills or this was just found because of more carnage created on Halloween twenty eighteen, but I do think it was uh anything you guess little Easter eggs like that I think is funny. It gave me a, a punchline to say like, oh, it's great that Michael Myers hates Halloween three as much as I hate it. So, um, and I know that's like throwing it out there. It's gonna stir up uh you know the horror community because there's some people who love Halloween three. There's some people that hate Halloween three. For me at this point, it's more of a, uh, I feel like it's more of an inside joke to for us to bring up about me hating Halloween 3 and because of the Scream Queens and uh, HHN at home, I kind of think I gained a little more appreciation for Halloween 3 than I did, uh, you know, a year ago and for the previous, I don't know, close to 20 years of my life previously. But I like, you know, as you and I are wrestling fans, I'll, I like to play the role and be the troll and just completely dive into it and just be like, yeah, this is the worst horror movie of all time. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Which it's not. We all know it's always it's not, the, not the worst horror franchise. movie of all time. That I, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not even the worst in the franchise. I can tell you that right now. I will. I would know. Yeah. I mean, we can, well, that's a different top for a different day. But I just well, I I think really he was playing the trailer because uh, um, remember uh, they said that 
they were wanting to do this in 2018, but they ended up cutting it. But it seemed like they might be bringing back that route of because if you notice, uh, Allison, uh, you know, Lori's granddaughter, uh, her douchebag boyfriend from the first movie is in the trailer, and it seems he's he's trying to help them. Uh, when Michael's attacking in the house, he's like he's like, he's like it seems like he's trying to to fight him off with them and rumor was that in 2018 there was a scrap storyline where they he was going to have a redemption story arc where because like you know the last time we saw him he was being a, a complete asshole and then we never saw him again and that was the that was like one of the only things i didn't like about 2018 because i wanted him to get killed but then he didn't kill. He didn't kill him, and we don't ever see him. But apparently, there's like this scrap storyline of him having a redemption arc. So maybe they're continuing that. That's what it looks like they're doing in this trailer. Uh, and another thing, uh, man, like I, I just I can't even like 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 for those listening, if you haven't seen it, you definitely have to see the trailer because I can't even put in words how sadistic and just vicious michael is it this is like michael myers at his true potential this is like you know the evil force of nature that we've never seen before and like me being a, a massive jason Voorhees fan and rooting for jason when i saw this trailer and what michael was doing i was like you know even though michael is technically human I'll fucking say it. I think he could go toe to toe with Jason. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll add this. One of the things that you and I talked about off the air um, is I I said this before is Halloween 2018 in my estimation is Halloween 1978, but using 2018 standards and practices based on rated R ratings and how kind of the horror genre had went in the last 40 years, because what you could do in 2018, as far as like, you know, the horror, the gore, the, the violence is significantly at a higher level than what you could do in 1978. Oh, and one of the things that we really didn't see in 78, we did get a chance to see it a little bit in, in 20, excuse me, in Halloween 2 that came out in 81. Not so much in 4 or 5. A uh, little bit in Curse of Michael Myers Halloween 6. And is Michael having a penchant for violence. And killing with you know with no rhyme or reason. In Halloween 1 there was a little bit uh, you know reasoning behind it. And, and him stalking you know the babysitters of Lori and, and Annie. Um, in Halloween 2 we saw like he just went after a random girl out of nowhere and, and killed her um, and, but then in 2018 they really picked that up a lot so I mean as I'm, as we've said you gotta skip it goes straight from Halloween 78 to Halloween 2018 but he legitimately just picks up out of nowhere just this complete you know remorseless sadistic without any sense of reason just killing random people for you know for no reason you know going into random houses um i said he ended up killing um that friend of allison's 
really for no reason. Um, and so he definitely had a level of violence and is picked up so many more notches. And that's what you want in, you know, in a good slasher where you have this this horrific monster is a nonstop killing machine. And they're going to create, you know, I think, you know, the protagonist of a total mob to come after them and creating an interesting story. And the, the best thing about this, though, is look at everything they did in 2018. Look at everything they're doing for Halloween Kills that's coming out this year in 2021. What the hell are they going to leave for Halloween Ends in 2022? I saw the funniest tweet about that. Someone said Halloween Ends is literally just going to be Lori, uh, Allison, and Michael in in therapy together. <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, uh, just to put a bow on this because we've gone on for close to 20 minutes and like so we could talk about this and Halloween so much, but it will be released. I know the dates is October 15th. It's typically, you know, a lot of times on the, the Thursday before you'll get an early release, like a 7, 8 o'clock showing. So 111 days and 20 hours Halloween kills dropping at a movie theater near you. I, I honestly plan on putting in to be off for that Thursday before and the Friday it officially releases just so I can watch it twice. Because I am not missing this movie or seeing it before. Without, I'm not. I'm not gonna have to. This is not a movie I'm gonna want to. Uh, possibly have to avoid spoilers for. I'm gonna see it as soon as it drops. <laughs> I cannot wait for this. Like, like, like as much as I love the trailer, it kind of, it kind of. Uh, uh, I kind of wish I wouldn't have seen it because now it's gonna make waiting for October so hard. And so much torture. Yeah, like I said, I, if I'm doing math correctly, it's basically 16 weeks away. So, but it's like I said, it's gonna be when it comes. And I'm not a big fan of what I have friends that do that. Um, especially those who are big into like Marvel and Star Wars, they'll go watch a movie twice. I don't know what it is for, or even more. My my uh, a good friend of mine is a massive Star Wars fan. The, he legitimately will go watch every episode of star wars at least three times in the in the movie theaters i never understood that because i was like I, I pay so much to see a movie but i think this is gonna be a this could be the first film where i'm just like yeah i'm gonna go thursday i'll definitely go thursday for the first showing which is probably seven o'clock my time um on the west coast and i'll probably end up going back on friday to rewatch it again because i just I, there's so much stuff in here and I really, I just really have to say um, what Jason Blum, uh, Malika Cod, uh, Danny McBride, Scott teams and David Gordon green um, as kind of, you know, the ones producing writing and directing Halloween 2018 Halloween kills and going into Halloween ends. They I mean, they when you talk about doing an original, you know, really doing it justice. I mean, I in the horror genre, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I know I'm biased, but I, I don't think there's a there's any comparison. I mean, they're hitting 
they didn't hit a home run. They hit grand slam and they're hitting another grand slam. And I think, you know, there's no reason to doubt that when Halloween ends comes out in 2022, that won't be another grand slam. I mean, they are knocking it out of the ballpark. Yep. Couldn't have said it better myself, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, to sum all that up, Halloween kills looks fucking amazing. We can't wait for it. And, we're 100% definitely going to be doing a bonus episode, spoiler, everything for Halloween Kill when me and, me and Jared both see it. But uh, 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 moving on, because I mean, we're, we're, or else we'll spend the whole episode talking about Halloween Kills. And, and uh, uh, you know, we're here to talk about the Blair Witch Project. But before that, we're gonna, well, we've got a couple of listener questions. Uh, if you would like to submit questions for us to answer on, on the show, uh, follow us on Twitter at trick or treat pod and look for our listener questions, uh, a post and, uh, you just go on there and you submit your question and we'll answer it and give you a shout out on the show. Uh, uh, this week we have, we have two, uh, two questions first from our buddy, uh, a man of horror at man underscore of underscore horror one, uh, man of horror asks, if we had to pick one horror monster for uh, to be released as a NECA figure, what would it be? Pumpkinhead, Leprechaun, Jin, or Maniac Cop? Well, for me, uh, because it was one of my favorite series growing up, uh, I'm going with Pumpkinhead, 100%. Love Pumpkinhead. Would love to have a Pumpkinhead NECA figure, and I think NECA could definitely knock it out of the park with one of those figures. How about you, JR? For me, um, and I have, as I you know, I, I'm trying to specialize in only collecting uh, Michael Myers Halloween stuff. I have a few NECA Halloween figures. Um, need to get the Jamie Lee Curtis, Laurie Strode, and Donald Pleasance, uh, Samuel Loomis two-pack from Halloween too. But one of the cool things about the NECA figures is the accessories. So I think like in the Michael Myers one, I have a pumpkin, some knives, um, some other stuff. Uh, I think like in the the Laurie Strode from 2018, it has like a shotgun, and uh, I I can't reach right now, but um, that's one of the cool things about NECA. And the first thing I thought about was Leprechaun because you think of like the different accessories that Leprechaun could have. You think of like having a pot of gold. You think of having the box car like from Leprechaun One. I believe it was Leprechaun Two when he got the pogo stick, and just having the ability to try to display that. And then the other thing I would also add is to have a voice box where you could be able to like push a button how and hear all his little quips and smart ass remarks. And that is something I just think would be absolutely cool, especially if you are a loose collector where you don't you take things out of the box to for display purposes. I just think that'd be a tremendous display item. Oh yeah, I couldn't agree more with you there. Uh especially if if they get Warwick Davis to record the lines, man, it would be absolutely wonderful. Uh, the last question comes from our buddy James Shannon Morant uh, at James Shannon Morant uh, Mo Two on Twitter. James asks, "Do you think Nightmare on Elm Street Two: Freddy's Revenge is the worst in the franchise?" And that's an easy one for me. Uh, I actually like Nightmare on Elm Street Two. Uh, I think it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty good movie that gets a bad rap. Uh, it's nowhere near as bad as 
the one we won't talk about, the remake that definitely didn't happen, or uh, the Dream Child. How about you, JR? Yeah, I think um, I think uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Two: Freddy's Revenge is really misunderstood. Um, I and it has gained a cult following. I think there it's a movie um, because when it was released in the in eighty two, there is a, a lot of. Um, I'm trying to think of the way to say it, Kyle. Um, there's a lot of... Um, I think the term is homoerotica um, tidbits into it. And when, you know, back in the late eight, in the early 80s, you know, there was, that, there was a lot of um, things going on. And um, as I don't think it's a secret about persecution and justices, the LGBTQ community faced, you know, even to this day, but especially in the eighties. Um, and there's a, a great documentary that I highly recommend people watch. If you have not seen Halloween, uh, excuse me, Nightmare on Street 2 Freddy's Revenge is after you watch is watch it. Nightmare on Street 2 Freddy's Revenge. And then watch on shutter scream queen, uh, my nightmare on Elm Street, where it talks about the lead character, um, and his experience in the movie. and some of the stuff that he went through of, during the filming and after the, and after the movie was released and i think it really is a great um uh supplemental piece to watch nightmare on elm street too and so i highly recommend doing that um kyle you know t- turned me on to shutter and and you know encouraged me to watch it and i just thought it was, it was amazing i just gained a lot uh a lot of respect for the lead actor um his name skips my mind but to the point of what you're uh, asking I don't think it was the worst. I for me it was either Freddy's Revenge or it's not excuse me, not Freddy's Revenge. Freddy's Dead, the Final Nightmare. Um, just a lot of weirdness with it. I just really didn't just like the the whole premise of it and the way it ended, and the ending of Dream Child. I just thought was really bad, um, a, a horrible ending. So those would be my two pick for the worst in the franchise. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely agree there. Uh, uh, number number two is uh, one that gets a uh, gets a bad rap for really no reason. I think it's a really good movie, and I highly recommend what like what Jr. said. Watch uh, watch Scream Queen, um, uh, My Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, on Shutter. Wonderful documentary. They really open your eyes a lot to Nightmare Two. But uh, yeah, it's uh, Mark and yeah. Mark Patton is his name, by the way. Mark Patton plays Jesse Walsh um, and and Fraser Revenge, but yeah, it's it's a lot about him, his his role in the film, and then like I said, some stuff before and after. And like I said, I'm glad again, uh, you know, with respect to him and all and everything he went through, and I think you know that film gained a cool following. And based on the documentary, he's doing very well. Um, you know, with some of the stuff that he's done with that movie touring around when they were doing like the anniversary, and then doing uh, you know the doing the circuit of you know conventions and stuff like that i'm happy for i'm happy for him i'm, I'm glad he's finally getting the respect that he deserves yep 100 uh thank you 
Manitore and James Morant for the questions. Uh, like I said before, if you'd like to submit questions for us next from the show, uh, follow us on Twitter at Trick or Treat Pod and look for our question, our listener questions uh, tweet that, that, that we'll do uh, on a week that we we're releasing an episode. And just submit your questions and we'll answer them on the show and give you a shout out. Uh, thanks again. All right, Jared. Uh, so we've we've gushed about Halloween Kills trailer for about twenty minutes or so. We did listen to questions. I think it's time we give the people what they want, as Excalibur says, and we talk about the Blair Witch Project from nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, um, this film came out over twenty two years ago. Um, as you know, we're kind of putting a bow on the found footage. Um, genre that we covered you know we started with grave encounters paranormal activity taking a deborah logan and now you know from what i've been able to read and find is the film that kind of started everything you know over 21 years ago a blair witch project the found footage technique and i think you know doing the background on the blair witch project and reading about how this film came together I, for me, I think it gave me a, a more appreciation. So for those who don't know this, the development of this began um, based on our findings back in the early nineties, when two film students, Daniel Merrick, Eduardo Sanchez from the university of central Florida were inspired to make a film that was based on a, essentially a concept of documentary or real paranormal activity um and when i heard that it triggered this thing in my mind we grew up with slasher films we grew up with exorcist and you know in all respect to exorcist such a great horror film halloween and nightmare on elm street but these are fictional stories that we see on tv but growing up all of us had some sort of either family tall tale legend folk tale whatever you know the proper term is or something in your in your city or state um for example in growing up the two things you heard about i remember was la chupacabra you know this horrible monster that ate farm animals and i remember when i was a kid and when i was visiting family in mexico that was one of the worst nights ever in my life when i was approximately eight years old was staying a night in Mexico the first night and you and you knew that going in that story about it like I could not sleep at all I was terrified and I could have and thinking about that and thinking in my head I'm like what if somebody took that concept and just film like we're gonna go out to the woods we're gonna go out to the farms and we're gonna investigate to see if the chupacabra is real and I'm like, that's way more horrifying, you know, for I think for a lot of people, they can identify with that versus, like I said, as, as great as The Exorcist was and Halloween um, and Nightmare on Elm Street, just to name a few. But those real life tells, I think it hits you more directly. And I think with no, thinking about that and comparing it to what Daniel and Eduardo were inspired to do, like it clicked in my head why found footage is a good technique if properly utilized to make a good horror film oh yeah yeah if you uh 
if you utilize it the correct way, it it definitely can make for a really great film. And and you know, like I said, we've covered we've covered a lot, we've covered found footage this month, and we've seen some pretty great uh, examples of this. Uh, uh, for me, it would probably be the last one we did, the taking of Deborah Logan. I think that that's an excellent example of, of how film footage could be if you do it if you utilize it the correct way. Uh, but yeah, dude, this yeah this the impact that this movie made on horror and just found footage in general is, is insane. It was in the Guinness uh, book of world records at one point for the top budget box office ratio uh, for a mainstream feature film, because according to them, the, the film cost around 60,000 to make and it made back $248 million dollars. And that is a ratio of one dollar spent for every ten thousand nine hundred thirty-one dollars made. So, um, just to show kind of how successful this movie was. So, in nineteen ninety, I'm I'm gonna do some comparisons real quick. In nineteen ninety nine, it made approximately two hundred forty nine million dollars worldwide. That's top ten in nineteen ninety nine. Um, above that was the Green Mile starring Tom Hanks, the uh, kids movie Stuart Little, which I loved when I was a kid, Runaway B- Bride, American Beauty, Tarzan, The Matrix, Toy Story 2, Sixth Sense, Star Wars, Episode 1, Phantom Menace that came out in 1999. All big films. But this, a, the fact that it made it into the a number 10 and it beat out other films such as American Pie, Big Daddy, um, Austin Powers, just to name a few. I think it kind of shows to the testament how great this film was. But if you adjust for inflation, so 1999, $249 million in today's money, it's approximately $396 million. And to give that as a comparison to the last big, you know, year that we had a box office, which was 2019, it would sit approximately uh, at around 2023, 20, 24, and it would have beaten out films such as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood starring Brad Pitt, Sajam, John Wick 3, uh, Terminator, A Men in Black, X-Men Dark Phoenix, just to name a few that these are movie this movie would have been made so much money even with just inflation would have beat some pretty significant box office films. It would have been a top 25 film in 2019. So I think that just shows like, you know, not just the impact, but how successful it was that even, you know, 20 years later, adjusting for inflation, it's a top 25 film and a top 10 in 1999. Yeah, and, uh, and, and not even just like financial impact, uh, like even till this day, you'll see films or just, people on the internet parry uh doing parodies of the clip in the movie where heather is uh talking to the camera and the the camera's kind of like positioned where it's like almost like up her nose and like there's so many films that parody that scene alone and that just shows you like you know how what an impact this movie made on people 
just just real quick because I think this is uh just a funny quick uh tidbit. So in nineteen ninety nine when when Blair Witch came out, not a single movie made um a billion dollars. Star Wars uh, Phantom Menace, I believe, was nine hundred million dollars. It made it the bo- worldwide, but in twenty nineteen, um, nine films, the top nine films, all made over a billion dollars worldwide. It's just crazy to me, like how like how different everything has gotten, um, as far as you know the successful box. When we look at successful box office today. You know, people look at films like, you You know, especially these major motion box office ones like uh, Avengers and Marvel um, and DC. It's like if it don't make a billion dollars, it's that's you don't see that's successful. But I just thought that was a uh, tidbit. But to your point, yeah, I mean, if you think about it with you said parody, I'm, you know, Blair Witch Project, Scream were like two big you know, late nineties, uh, horror films that came out. And I remember when the Wayne's brothers did the first scary movie that came out in 2000, that was when the images that you saw in the trailer that was in the movie was parodying that shot, um, into the film, uh, uh, in a scary movie from that shot where it had the upwards of, uh, her facing, um, you know, up her nose, uh, top of her head feature. So that was um, very unique for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, and what's interesting is that, uh, so like, I remember when this movie first came out, I remember hearing about it and like, it, it was marketed as this like really scary movie that was, people actually believed this was real footage that someone had, that, they had found that they thought this was a real story that this actually happened and honestly if you watch it uh it, it, uh it, it, it's easy to tell how people could, could could get that comparison because you know and and knock to knock you know anything because i couldn't film anything better than this but the way it's filmed it it, it does look like just footage that someone found on someone's camera. It, it's not like a really well done, you know, well done film. Uh, but like people like really believed that it was real and it was marketed as that. Uh, th- there's actually uh, some of the marketing that they did for the, like this is like one of the best marketing campaigns in a movie ever. Uh, they actually put like uh, missing persons uh, posters out while marketing the film for the three actors to make it, you know, seem more like they were, that they were gone. And the three actors actually, uh, 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 actually went a while without making any public appearances to make it more seem like, you know, they really were missing and no one knew where they were at to the point that, uh, one of the, uh, the, uh, the main, the main girl, Heather, uh, Heather Donahue, uh, her mother actually received sympathy cards for people who believed that her daughter was actually dead or missing. <laughs> like that is in, insane. Well, you know, one of the things is, and I give this comparison. Um, so when this film came out in 1999, 
previously before that, um, and I'll just I'll focus like late '90s horror. Yeah, I know what you did last summer. Scream, Scream Two, Sixth Sense. You know, I know Sixth Sense is, you know, in between like thriller and horror. But when you see a movie trailer, you see a movie trailer. We just saw one today for Halloween Kills. Is just you could tell it's a movie. It's a Hollywood production. And actually, um, when I heard about this and you had talked about off air, I was like, you know, I hadn't seen the Blair Witch Project trailer, you know, since it came out over 22 years ago. So I went on YouTube and found it. And like it starts in the beginning in October 1994. Three students, three student filmmakers disappear in the woods near Burkittsville, Maryland, while it's shooting a documentary. So a year later, the footage was found. And you see like this beginning of really i mean I, I can't i'll just be blunt like like really shitty footage like like camcorder footage and it's them you know it's like somebody uncovering documents and equipment and then it kind of you get um the zoom of like the facial expressive saying like i'm so scared and you just see it's basically it looks like home foot like home video footage and at the time, you know, even as a 10, 11 year old kid, you never saw anything like that. Everything was, like I said, it was a Hollywood production. You never saw a home video. You never seen anything that resembled like your, you know, like your parents shooting a birthday party or Christmas or stuff like that get together. You saw Hollywood production, I think. And that's what, when you saw this, you're like, man, this is very unique because everything about it from the beginning kind of shows like, well this this looks like this was like based on real events like this is their last days of what they lived and they found this film and they're putting it out there for people to watch like that's crazy and little did you know what i mean i think especially at that time in you know 1999 um i think it was very easy to understand why people thought that this could have been real Especially, and then add to the fact what you said about the marketing technique where they're putting out missing posters. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it, it's really easy to tell like why people would believe this was real, and not, I, and I mean I'm not ashamed to say I was one of them. I used to before you know when I first heard of this movie, I thought I was you know it was a real. I thought that's what it was. It was real footage. I thought the Blair Witch was a real a real urban legend. It wasn't just made up for the movie. Uh, what's in the? the oh, go ahead. I, no, I'm saying, and just to take it a step further, I mean, we're about, I think it's about a decade before Paranormal Activity came out. I think Paranormal Activity came out around 2008, when um, uh, 2009. I think so. It's about a decade. Even then, though, in that decade in between Blair Witch Project and Paranormal Activity, there wasn't a lot of found footage films that kind of came out. Um. And I remember even thinking the same thing in Predator Activity because the way it was shot, like it was shot like a home security system almost that, you know, people were thinking that, oh, this was, this kind of looked real, especially when, you know, as you, we covered it two weeks ago, uh, they were using their real name. So, I mean, I think now at this point, especially, you know, in 2021, and we've seen more found footage films that we, we get it. But at the time, you know, it was with the, relatively new technique you know nobody used it so it's very easy for you know to buy into that especially when anything you saw that was horror looked like a hollywood production 
and for good reason it's a hollywood film but this unique thing that took this like this concept and blew it up and freaked everybody out because of it oh yeah uh it, it, I mean, th- his movie uh, calls a lot of uh, a lot of panic in the the city of him in in, in Burgettville, Maryland, because uh, uh, the the city's sign that you see at the beginning of the movie that that says "Welcome to Burgettville," it was stolen like numerous times, and then people would like go to the graveyard at, that's in the city where they filmed at and and like leave stuff to the point that the town actually had to had to like hire like extra police protection to like watch over the town and in the local cinema in the town actually refused to play the movie because of all the crazy fans of the movie and what's another another interesting thing uh, uh, well is that apparently the hunting season for not for 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 99 to early 2000 was uh suffered like really badly due to this film because there was just a ton of people walking around the forest uh, walking around in the forest trying to shoot their own Blair Witch style documentaries and as a a result it kept it scared away most of the wildlife in the hunting areas well I could tell you this as somebody whose family you know we we hunted for you know not for game for food um the last thing you'd want to do when you went hunting is to have a bunch of people, especially um, in the woods, because I, and I, I mean this when I say this, it's very easy to mistake people for a game because when you're in the, that's, this is the exact same reason why hunters wear bright, fluorescent orange vests um if they know there'll be people around because they want so they they stick out so if you have a bunch of people running around that that's like the worst thing ever for like you said scaring not just scaring off farm animals but scaring off people who would hunt because it creates a very dangerous environment i'm surprised if that's what you're telling me has happened i'm surprised people no one got shot on accident yeah it's a it's a wonder uh Man, this it, just to add to like trying to make this as real as possible. The the dialogue that you hear that you, you hear in the movie is mostly all improvised. From from what I was reading, the directors uh, apparently wanted to make it as improvised as possible. They pretty much just gave like a thirty five page outline of what the movie what would happen in the movie but with no dialogue and they wanted the actors to make up dialogue even to the point that when they were auditioning people i read that they apparently would have people come in and then they would give them an instant scenario like uh okay say uh you're in jail with with the parole board why should we let you out and apparently if anyone hesitated they were immediately removed from the from the audition like you had to you had to improv a something to say right there on the spot in order for them to be happy well Kyle um what do you say we get into and start covering the beginning of Blair Witch Project? All right, so 
uh, you know, like I said before, we're, we're doing the Blair Witch Project from 1999. It was directed by Daniel Merrick and Eduardo Sanchez. It was produced by Robin uh, Coey and Greg Hale. Uh, star, it stars Heather Donahue, Michael C. Williams, and Joshua Leonard. Because a runtime of 81 minutes, so you know it, it, it's real quick to get through, just an hour and 21 minutes. And you know, like I said before, had a budget of approximately oh it, it, it ranges it's hard to really tell what the the real budget is uh, IMDB has it as 60,000 but the wiki has it as like 200 to 500,000 you know maybe I, I, I think, think what it adjusted. is um, the beginning yeah well I think what it is is that the beginning similar to uh, paranormal activity the 60,000 is what it took to yeah. film it but in post post production between editing and stuff, there was additional money that was put in that got it up to over two hundred thousand yeah. dollars. But the initial investment from um, the writers and the director and producer, I believe, was sixty thousand. Yeah. And it made a box office total of two hundred forty eight point six million dollars, which is fucking insane. All right. <clears throat> So we, we start the movie off, and you know, like I said before, we we have this uh, little this little uh, thing at the beginning of the movie that says in October of nineteen ninety four, three uh, film three documentary filmmakers uh, set out to produce a documentary about the Blair Witch, and they you know they traveled to Burgerville, Maryland, and and disappeared. Uh, During the the beginning where we see there's there's three students, there's Heather, there's there's, there's three film students, Heather Donahue, Michael C. Williams, and Joshua Leonard, and uh, they're going to Burgersville, Maryland, which is normally, which was formerly called Blair, and there are... Uh, you see them. We see Heather, and uh, she's with her mom. I think she's with her mom. Is it she? Yes, they're they're gearing up and they're ready to head out to um to the city, as we mentioned, it's uh, Burkittsville, Maryland, uh, to start interviewing residents. And I'll tell you this, this is actually the first thing is when they started meeting people, the first thing I said in my head, I was like, man, this looks so 1999. Like everything, especially as the the older people, like it reminded me of like my folks and my grandparents, but I was from the hair, the clothes, the glasses, just the city. Like I felt like I was, especially because it was shot through with camcorders, um, you know, reminded me like, Basically, if I had took my dad's VHS tape and we went on vacation, this is what it reminded me of. And I just kind of really enjoyed how they were talking to locals and trying to get some information about some of the 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 tales of the woods and the individuals. They started telling telling them about this hermit um, named Rustin Parr that lived in the woods. Yeah, and he supposedly and, kidnapped seven children in the forties and brought him to a house that he has in the woods 
where he apparently would torture and murder him. But what was, was interesting was that he, they said that he had brought him to the basement in pairs, forcing the first child to face the corner and listen as he killed the second one before he'd kill the first one, which is interesting because that's kind of the final scene in the movie. Well, and the other thing, part of that too, it kind of threw me off because as the first time I watched this, I was wondering what's the what's the part of Rust and Pear have to do with the witch? Um, so as they start, as they learn more about Rust and Pear, they go off into the woods to start exploring this legend of this hermit Rust and Pear and the death of uh, the unfortunate death of these seven children, but they end up running into these two fishermen, which I believe they were fly fishing in, in the, the water they were in. Um, and one of the fishermen was like this cranky old man reminded me of, uh, Walter, the, the puppet from, uh, Jeff Dunham. He, cause he told him, he told him, he was like, you damn kids don't <laughs> seem to learn, yeah. don't you? And I and I literally popped because it reminded me of like just like I said, it reminded me of Walter from Jeff Dunham's puppet. It reminded me of that stereotypical old timer. Um, you know, I, I would say even uh, I can't remember his name. The the character from Friday the Thirteenth. Oh, you talking about uh, crazy crazy, uh, um, crazy Ralph? Yeah, yeah. It's just the fact is just like you just you people you know you're gonna die. Like, don't you realize this? But he didn't say it that way. He just. But you could tell the old man, though, the old man fisherman was just like, you know, you guys don't seem to learn shit happens and you guys are about to, you know, get into a, a huge steaming pile of it and you ain't going to like what's going to happen. It's just I, it, I don't think it's meant to be foreshadowing, but it's just the fact is how he, you know, his approach to it. And they begin to tell him about another legend about occurred over 100 years, you know, before 1999 about a young girl named Robin Weaver who went missing. And when she returned, we started talking about this old woman that never, her feet never touched the ground, which then, um, you know, which then, you know, kind of intrigued, you know, Heather, Mike, and Josh. So they began to go ahead and start hiking to Coffin Rock um, to see where, um, there was supposedly a ritualistic death of five men in the early 19th century, but their body was never discovered. So there's a lot of death and there's a lot of there's Now we have these two tells Rustin Parr and the Robin Weaver that occurred that goes to that. There's something seriously wrong with these woods. Yeah. These are definitely not woods you'd want to be staying in overnight. And what it's funny you say that because that's exactly what happens. Because since he gets late, they decide to camp overnight. Um, and so they sleep over, and then the, the next day they find an old an old cemetery, and they find seven small, I believe you say it, uh, Karin. I've I've it, yeah, but it's like, and a Karin, it it's a it's a pile yeah. of stones and. As soon as I saw it, I could tell because similar to other movies that I've seen or shows is that anytime, you know, there's a death 
of somebody that happens um, like either post-apocalyptic or out in the middle of nowhere and they have to bury a body, they always stack up, you know, rocks, which is to signify like a burial place. So as soon as I saw it, I could tell like this was, you know, people were buried here. Um, so, you know, basically... They speak, they continue to explore throughout the day, but then at night they, you know, go back to camp and they start hearing, you know, twigs snapping and noises. And it freaks them out because they don't know where it's coming from, but they kind of essentially shake it off. The trouble comes now going into after two nights in the woods, it's time for them to leave. They can't find their car. And this is one of the worst things that could ever happen. If you're hiking in the woods, you hear all the stories that all the time people go hiking, they get lost, they don't know where to get back. And like they said, you know, you really can only, you know, search when it's daylight because if things get dark, I mean, it's impossible to find anything at night. Um, so they are doing everything they can, you know, frantically try to find, you know, their vehicles they can leave but they can't so they end up staying a third night in the woods and they continue to hear more noises then unfortunately next morning they wake up and around their tent they find three carns which one could see as foreshadowing to signal the deaths of these three individuals yeah i didn't even think about that because uh i don't think I, i knew the background of what that represented but now knowing the background of that and you saying that now I definitely see how that is disturbing to wake up to. So one of the things is as, as we're reviewing this during, as we're seeing this film though, I felt uh, we're at this point now where the next thing that happens, they wake up and Heather cannot find her map. And then they are very frustrated. Then it comes out that Mike ended up getting rid of the map because he was pissed off. And yeah. now we just see them all arguing with each other. That part, like, was really fucking confusing because, like, they argued about the map for a little bit. Then finally Mike admits and that he just kicked it. And they, he literally goes, yeah, I kicked that fucker into the creek. It, it was useless. Why the hell would you kick the map into the creek? The one thing is, during this time... Having a map, though, and, and I'm go, growing up, and I, I don't want to, I don't know about you, Kyle, but growing up during a time where people didn't have cell phones, GPS, we use maps. I remember growing up, we, we toured all of, essentially, a significant portion of the Western United States, and we use maps. And maps, they work if you know how to read them, if you know how to use them. Um, they're kind of difficult, you know, on the roads but if you you know essentially you know you figure out that you gotta stay on this freeway you gotta stay on this highway you get off on this exit you know you see this town there's obviously signs to help you but if you're in the middle of nowhere and you have no sense of direction and you don't know where you're at and you don't know what's north south east west a map is pretty much useless if you don't know how to read it but and obviously seeing they're going in circles. And I think the biggest issue was that they didn't know where they left their car at. So you could find a map as much as you want, but if you don't know where your vehicle is at on that map, you're just gonna be walking for days until you end up passing out from exhaustion, starvation, or dehydration. 
But I'll say, as we get to this point of them fighting, though, I just, I realize, I feel like we're halfway through the film and we hear interviews, camping, and arguing. And I'm like, where's the ghost at? Like, there isn't any killings yeah. yet. Nothing that's happened. Yeah. yeah. And really I know. There's really not any of that. It's like, it's a very psychological film. Uh, and what's interesting is that like, the making of this was really was really like that too because like the directors in order to to create discourse between the 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 actors they would deliberately give them less and less food like each each day and just to just to cause like you know them to be out because like they really did camp out in the woods while filming this movie and stuff and and the, the actors apparently were given like directions to go to a certain place in the woods where there would that there would they would have instructions on, on what to do next for the film but the other one the other ones would get different yeah the other ones would get like different different um instructions and it would create just that constant just uh, disagreement, argument, just a lot of frustration with each other that created the animosity that we saw that played out on screen. Oh yeah, there, there was a lot of it. But, but before we move on, the one of the funniest fucking things ever. Uh, I, I was I was in t I was I was like laughing whenever whenever Mike said this, just because I was like, this is like, this is the funniest fucking thing. Um, it's my favorite piece of dialogue in the whole movie. Uh, Heather is talking. Is she's trying to basically stay calm, and she's trying to tell herself that she tells them that, you know, th th this is the United States of America. It's really hard to get lost in America during during uh, in in <laughs> in this day. And like she's trying to like basically calm herself down. Like you know, like you know, they're in America. People know, you know, where they're at. They are, uh, you know, she's trying to basically make, basically made it seem like you know there's hope that they're not lost exactly. And and Mike says, "Well, we're, we're doing a pretty goddamn good job of being lost." <laughs> Fucking died. Um, you know, and like I said, it, it has to be a horrible feeling. But fortunately, what they do have though is they do have a compass, so they begin to figure out they got to head south using this compass but one of the things is they begin to discover um a the term they use is, is a humanoid stick figure but essentially it's what it is is twigs that are made to look like humans that are hanging and i mean for and for some reason it freaks them out and because they're gonna end up having to spend another night in the woods uh they start again it's another thing where they hear more sounds twig branches but now it starts increasing as they starting to hear people's voices um, and yeah, some uh, unknown forces start messing with them and start messing with their tent. Yeah, it, it, yeah. The, the, this part's really interesting. The, uh, the they hear what sounds like children. Uh, well, well, what was great was that was recorded. Uh, the directors got uh, children to to like records like record some sounds, and then they played that on a boom box outside their tent. So it was really fucking, the, the, the actress said it was really fucking terrifying 
to film and really scary to listen to. And then the, the shaking part, I don't know if you know this, JR, but uh, that was unknown to them. The directors were shaking their tent and they didn't know it was them, so they were legitimately fucking terrified. Well, and I did read about that, and that's one of the things is that I, especially when you're looking at, you want a type of reaction that is considered real, is that in this situation, is they're doing things to get those real life reactions and emotions out of these these actors, because I think with the found footage technique. The most important thing is that you want to make it seem as real as possible. And the only way to do that is you cannot fake, you know, laughter and argument and fear. You have to do your best job to make it seem as authentic as possible, I think, you know, to make this work. And obviously it worked because they didn't know it. And if you're sleeping in a tent, all of a sudden someone starts messing with it, you're going to freak the fuck out if you're not expecting it. If you are expecting it, you're going to be like, you know, you're going to fake it and it's not going to come off as genuine. Yeah, exactly. Um, so essentially what happens, they end up, you know, right off into the woods. As daylight comes in, though, they go back to their tent and they realize that their tent and all their possessions have been rifled through. And for some reason, Josh's stuff is covered with some sort of slime. Yeah, the the slime thing was, was really weird to me. I, I didn't I didn't get that. But they again, they go through the next that whole day. They're walking and they realize that essentially they've walked a giant circle around these woods, and it's just a constant battle and frustration within each other. But it gets to the point where. They see uh, Josh freaks out and just takes off. Um, Heather and Mike try to find him, and unfortunately they can't find him. But at night, though, um, they hear what they perceive as Josh is um, screaming, and they don't know where it's coming from, and they can't find him. Yeah, uh, that was another thing. Uh, where they had Josh record that and they played that over speakers in the middle of the fucking woods. <laughs> so like, that's scary. But but no, Josh though, he he's completely fine. Now, I don't know if you know this, Jar, but apparently, I don't know what what he did, but apparently he did something to piss off the directors. To where, see, this was supposed to be Mike. Mike was supposed to be the one who was supposed to disappear. But then, because Josh pissed him off, they just decided to change it and have him do it. So like, they literally got him up in the, in the middle of the night while they were sleeping, told him not to say anything to anyone else, and, and told him to come with him and said, told him that he was dead. And then they got him out of the woods, and they took him to a dinner. They, they took him for a dinner at Denny's. Because uh, the, that's what what they did. They fed everybody a nice big dinner in Denny's. But when 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 an actor would die, uh, they would take them they would take them to dinner. So while he's eating Denny's, they're having to eat like really shitty power bars and just barely nothing. 
Matt, you talk about the commitment to realism. That that is insane of what they're doing to make sure that that found footage technique in the style and that people can believe that this is, you know, a real life event. Um, then the next day, though, th- this is I think we're at the point. This film is eighty minutes long, and we're approximately already two thirds of the film. And like I said, I think there's and we're we'll get to this at the end when we do our uh, like our final thoughts into it. But it's, I'm still waiting for things to pick up, and this is, I think, where it begins to pick up because Heather just finds some sort of like it was hard to see when I watched it because I thought it was just like a pile of sticks, but it was like it connected somehow, and so she ended up opening this, you know, this pile of sticks, and she found a piece of fabric of Josh's shirt, um, shirt, um, that was blood soaked, uh, teeth a finger and a large piece of his tongue. And it legitimately, like you could hear like just the, f- how frightened she is in her voice, but she keeps it to herself because she doesn't want to alert Mike to it. And yeah, that uh, night though, the days, uh, had teeth and hair, hair, her real as well. The, the hair was actually Josh's, the teeth, they literally just went to a local dentist and asked them for any pull, if they had any uh, pulled teeth that they could use. <laughs> and see, and I, when I was watching it, I could tell, like, you know, I could tell there was blood and I could tell there was teeth and there was nothing, there was something else and I couldn't figure it out. It was, and I come to find out it was a piece of tongue. Um, yeah, and it was wrapped. And I'm was, sure they probably went to a local butcher for that. Yeah, it was wrapped up in in blood soaked uh, scraps of Josh's uh, shirt as well. So um, at night, though, like I said, she doesn't tell Mike what happened. But at night is when we get like the iconic part of that we see in the trailer has been parodied. Is at night, um, Heather decides to film herself. Essentially, she's apologizing and taking full responsibility that this whole situation is her fault, that if she didn't want to come out here, then nobody else would have have came out here, and she put them in this predicament. They're the reason why they're lost, the reason why that Josh is, uh, you know, feared to be dead, and she apologizes to, you know, Josh's family, Mike's family, and even her family, because I think she's come to the realization that they're all probably going to die. Yeah, this 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 scene is easily the most famous in the whole movie. I mean, even if you've never seen Blair Witch Project, you know what this scene is. And um, after this, though, going it's the same night, and as we're getting towards the end of the film, they hear Josh's voice, uh, Josh scream again. And it's coming from an abandoned house. As they enter the house, they they could see there was demonic symbols, uh, children's bloody handprints, all throughout this uh, beginning of this house. Dude, the the children's handprints that was so awesome to see. Like that was fucking creepy. Oh, I'm mean, absolutely. I mean, and that's one of the things is when you look at some like the key parts of film is that you don't mess with children you don't mess with pets so to see something like that is really like you're breaking a like a golden rule and but it creates a very unique element um 
that's going to incite fear out of you. And as they're exploring this, you know, this house looking for um, Josh, all of a sudden, and this is the thing where, like, I had to watch this ending three times. We see Mike is holding the camera, and he gets attacked from essentially behind the camera drops. Yeah, but like, before that, he does this really weird fucking thing where when before he goes down in the basement he 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 loudly announces that he's going upstairs and then when they go upstairs uh he goes he says that he thinks he hears josh in the basement and then he runs downstairs and he, he once again loudly announces that he's going in the basement and he like he went down the stairs and immediately knew where the basement was and went down there. And I'll I'll talk about that after we finish the movie on a very interesting fan theory for this film that plays into that. Well, it shows that the cam the essentially cameras drop and we hear Heather entering the basement and she screams as the camera shows that Mike is standing in the corner and then some force attacks uh heather and she drops her camera and that's the end of the film that's where the footage cuts off and we get to credits yep that's that's how it ends uh so so like i said i said there's there's an interesting fan theory this is probably my favorite fan theory of, of all time uh so there was a website that was set up before this movie was made by the director, by one of the directors. I can't remember which one, but it basically is like basically like an online journal for Heather to keep where she details everything. And there's like there's numerous pages, like over thirty some pages. Well, throughout the journal, if you read it, she talks about how she's getting weirded out by what's going on and it's getting a little, uh, starting to notice coincidences. Like she mentions that it's kind of weird that things only happen to them when they go to sleep at night. And then she starts talking about how it seems that Josh and Mike are trying to keep the map away from her or don't want her, her to hold any kind of navigation stuff. And, and, uh, she basically, She's paranoid that there's something going on with them two against her, and she can't quite figure it out. And I think at one point she even jokes around uh, that she thinks that she jokes around that you know maybe that maybe maybe they just want to kill me, and that's the fan theory is is that there is no witch in this movie. And the whole movie is Mike and Josh planning out the murder of Heather. And if you watch it with that, with that in mind, a lot of stuff happens that makes that starts to pinpoint to that going on. Like, okay, everything that happened can be explained. Nothing that happened in this movie it was was could be considered supernatural. Everything can easily be explained. It's like, why would Mike kick the map? in the river and why would they constantly be asking her for the map and want to control the map unless they don't want her to know where she's at 
and get her lost to where you know they can kill her and get away with it and then that also kind of explains the ending maybe josh was maybe when heather walks down stairs maybe josh hits her from behind and and stuff like that but like uh it's an interesting fan theory and like uh i highly recommend like looking into it uh check out the show, all kinds of videos on it and then rewatching this movie with that in mind because you start it sort of you start seeing a lot of things more where you're like, hmm, maybe they are something's going on here. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things in this film, you know, watching it. And it's for me, it's a very short film. I mean, it's 80 minutes long. That is not long whatsoever. But it got to the point where I saw the and I actually, to be honest, I think it's less than 80 minutes. I think that's 80 minutes, including credits. But I get to like the 60 minute mark and I had texted you and I said, man, I feel like all I've seen was interviews and fighting. And I didn't see any ghosts. I didn't see any, you know, any spirits, any witches, anything is just this, you know, them interviewing people, them in the woods and them fighting constantly. But hearing that theory, I mean, at the same time what you're saying is right is that everything could be explained and that is a thing a very valid theory is that what if this was just an elaborate you know scheme to kidnap heather and that would explain a lot because if you think about it even in the abandoned house there isn't anything there to suggest that there could be a supernatural spirit in that house in the way that this was filmed so um you know that's the one good thing about fan theories is that you take it with a grain of salt and you know, it's like, it's plausible. I don't know if that's what they intended, but it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very interesting theory. I highly recommend looking into it, especially if you're in the fan theories. So should we get into our final thoughts and review of this film? Yeah, let's go ahead. Uh, why don't you go first, Sheriff? So, because it's Blair Witch, and because they're in the woods, and you see the uh, the twigs, I just think it'd be good to you know rate it out of twigs. Um, I've talked about the positives. I see a lot of this as you know the found footage genre basically was like you know the the god the godfather of everything. It, it started it all. Uh, I think the technique is brilliant. I, I understand the reasoning behind it. For me, though, watching this film, it's it's a film like I just I couldn't connect to it because I feel there was just not a whole lot happening. And it seemed like there was no deaths in this film. It seemed like it literally went from interview to um, them in the woods. They're fighting. And then the last 20 minutes is kind of where things start picking up, where you start hearing or seeing what could be described as a supernatural phenomenon. I mean, it, it's hard to give it a rating because, like, technically, it, they accomplished what they needed to do with, like, the, you know, the sound and the visuals. Um, acting, I think, you know, is believable. I just felt like there's... 
this was a film that was 80 minutes that could have been shrinked down to 30 minutes. Like if you cut off time from the fight and if you cut off time from the, you know, interviewing people. Uh, I would probably give it a three out of five. I just think there was a lot more, there could be more improvement in what they did as far as telling the, the story of the Blair's project itself, because there was like a lot of just, I just think like wasted space that you would either shorten this to be like a one hour, you know, made for sci-fi or by making changes, you can really beef it up and have a 90 minute film that is, I think a lot more terrifying people would like to watch, but it just wasn't for me. And I think that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's what you can see as a horror fan. We all have our, you know, our specialties and what we like. I appreciate the hard work, but it's just, for me, it's not a film that I would give higher than a three. I got you. I got you. I, re- I respect your opinion. I mean, I get it. Um, uh, 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 maybe found footage just isn't really your genre. But, uh, or, or, or you just didn't connect with this film. I mean, I get it. Uh, I'll know the hand, uh, you know, on the other hand, really, really, really enjoy this film. Uh, definitely one of my all-time favorite found footage films. Uh, I mean, I mean, it had a massive impact on the genre as a whole, and it's just one I—it's one I really enjoy. I, I appreciate it for what it is. It's a, a home. It's a found footage film that was that's basically trying to make you believe that this is just home footage found from three film students' cameras that that. that how we're found and and so for that uh I, if i had to rate it i'm i'm gonna have to go with four bundle sticks out of five uh I, this is definitely one that i really really like oh uh, one thing we didn't talk about that i forgot to mention in one of the scenes when they're running away uh you hear heather and mike say oh what the fuck is that oh what the fuck is that but then nothing is shown. They were supposed, the cameraman was supposed to pan around and you were supposed to see a woman in a white gown uh, 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 back, uh, back off in the distance. But the guy didn't, uh, the camera dude didn't uh, turn around. And because he didn't turn around, they just decided not to reshoot it and just didn't shoot it. So. So, so so they just picked up them saying what the fuck is that but not the actual thing they're supposed to show I got no words but it's just those things happen in, in Hollywood I'm, to me it's similar to finding the Starbucks cup on Game of Thrones that, that, well, that was great <laughs> so uh, like I said, that puts a bow on on found footage for us. I mean, I think, as I said, I this film to me is better than Grave Encounters. I really appreciate Paranormal Activity. I think that was you know a good one. And I'm to me this the star of the month was the taking of Deborah Logan because that is such a terrifying, disturbing film and it was just really amazing. Um, I I said after I watched it, I was like, I don't know if I could watch it again because that's one of the first films I felt like I was like, man, this is really like. It's hitting me, so I'm glad we did this genre. I think the films we covered, uh, especially 
the our latter three. Um, yeah. Blair Witch Project, Paranormal Activity, and Taking Deborah Logan is extremely important to the horror genre because even if it's something that you don't like or you can't connect to, doesn't mean it's not important. Everybody has their likes and dislikes and what they prefer. But these, is especially Blair Witch Project and then followed by Paranormal Activity, these are films that are staples of the horror of our horror film history and should be treated as such um, as just being a special part of the horror film industry. So um, I really do appreciate you, Kyle, selecting the found footage for the month of June. But that puts a, as you said, we put a bow on it. We're finishing up the month of June. And next week we're getting into July. We're doing our summer movies. And we get back into oh, yeah. my favorite genre. Slashers. Summer movies. Yep. Summer movies, and yeah. the first one is a very important late 90s slasher that I think was a, a, a teen um, a teen favorite. It was the 1997 film, I Know What You Did Last Summer, starring Jennifer Love Hewitt, yep. uh, Freddie Prinze Jr., Sarah Michelle Giller, and Ryan Philippe. I can tell you this, looking at this film and just remembering late, late 90s, early 2000s, you're talking about four teen heartthrobs came together to put on for this film um it's been a while since i've seen it but i'm excited to watch it again me and too me too i i think we're gonna have a guest but uh we're hopefully be able to bring in a guest from one of our you know colleague uh sister podcast and we should get more information on that yeah i'm i'm super excited about it and it, it just it just makes sense to do i know we did last summer because fourth of july is coming up and Fourth of July, I know we did last summer, is a Fourth of July movie. It takes place here in the Fourth of July. So, so it just makes sense to do that movie. But yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for it. I, I'm. As well as like the rest of the lineup, like I already released the, the, the graphic on Twitter, on our Twitter. Uh, like I said, we're doing summer movies. You know, we're starting off, I know we did last summer. And then we're going to hit up with, you can't do summer movies without having Jaws or some kind of shark movie. So we're doing Jaws, which I cannot wait to do. And then we're doing Friday the 13th, 1980. I mean, you got to have a summer camp movie in there. And we're closing it off with The Purge. And and, and I'm glad you chose The Purge because, uh, because the, uh, the Purge series is one that has kind of unofficially become like a, a tradition for me to watch during July because, like I said before, you know, I go to the beach every year with my family during 4th of July weekend, and I always end up watching a Purge movie in theaters because it's always there's usually one that releases around that time. Yeah, I think um, the first Purge came out in, 19, in excuse me, not 1983, in 2013. I believe when it came out, the whole thing was around July because it had to do with essentially a form of, I guess for lack of a better word, like a form of independence, a form of Americana. Um, it just kind of built around that, especially when it got into the election year. But... I'm excited again for summer movies. Uh, summer, even though I hate the heat, but it's such a great time because you get your family barbecues, you go swimming, and it's just have a, a whole bunch of fun together. And like I said, I know you do your annual transition where you and your family go out to the lake. So 
this is going to be a good one. I'm, I'm excited for this summer. It's like I said, the first movie we're going to review drops next week will be, I know what you did last summer. Is there anything you want to add Kyle before we uh, send our uh, listeners home? Oh, just uh, 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 thanks everybody for continuing to listen to us and checking out our show. Uh, we appreciate it. Whether you're a, a, a returning listener or, or, or you're new to the podcast. Uh, uh, thanks for checking us out. And uh, thanks for being with us during Found Footage Month. Uh, you know, we can only pick four films. Uh, there is, uh, but two of my favorites we didn't get to do. Maybe we'll do them later on uh, down the road. But I highly recommend if you did, if you do want more found footage, I highly recommend watching Hell House LLC and As Above, So Below. Those are two good found footage recommendations I highly recommend. But yeah, uh, just thanks everybody for check, uh, checking us out. Uh, follow us on Twitter at True Treat Pod and uh, check out the rest of the of our friends on the Slashy Cast Podcast Network, especially our friends, the Scream Queen. Yes, uh, and speaking of which, Slash and Cast Network, if you go to slash n, the letter n, cast.network, you will find all of our sister shows. As you know, we're great friends with the Scream Queens um, on there as well. You will see the Silver Scream Scream Show. Uh, You will all see the Just Like the Movies, Punk Rot Horror Podcast, The Conjecturing, Apocalypse Review, and many more. Uh, exciting to be a part of the Slash and Cast Network, as we always say every time. It's good to be a part of, you know, fellow horror fans like us who do this for the love and passion of being horror movie fans. In addition to that, don't forget to uh, check out our good friend, one of our editors, um, Carmen Michael on Twitter at Carmen M Childers. Get him for all your AV audio tech needs, as well as if you need any good graphics. Such a good dude. Love that man. And then the last thing I'll leave you with, um, just a bit of advice. One things I will I went through recently last Friday. Um, unfortunately, I had another death around me. Uh, somebody that was close to me at a very young age passed away due to an illness. And one of the things I always want people to know is um, it makes you start thinking a lot. And that is the importance to let people know that you love them, the importance to live life, do good, and try to accomplish as much as you can because you only have one life to live. And go and fight for your dreams because you never want to look back and realize that you could have done more and you don't know what tomorrow brings. So with that said, treat every day as it's your last day and live your life to the fullest. And with that, we appreciate you and all of our listeners who turn in every single week uh, to listen to two guys who just love horror and love talking to each other about horror movies. And We must bid you adieu. Goodbye. Good night. Bang.